Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Here's Dickow from the deep corner for three. Uh-oh, uh-oh. It's on now. Downtown Dan connects. Every morning when I'm working out, I'm listening to your podcast. Keep up the great work. I mean, I've seen Dan Dickow hit some big shots in the NCAA tournament. <laughs> I got to salute you, man. Like, I've been watching you since I was in high school trying to mimic all your moves. Today's episode of The ISO with myself, your host, Dan Dickow for SB Live Sports, brings a great guest, a friend of mine, a former college teammate and roommate, Kyle Bankhead, recently has accepted a job as assistant coach at Abilene Christian after a couple other great stops at college basketball uh, programs. Looking forward to hearing about his take of a new setup, uh, how an assistant coach assimilates himself and becomes part of a new program. So Kyle, thanks for joining um, we were talking a little bit off air about where is Abilene Christian and, and how easy is it to get to, uh, for you as you're beginning a new phase of your career? Yeah. Well, uh, thanks for having me on Dan. Uh, Abilene, if you were to look at a, a map of Texas is dead center in the state of Texas. So it's actually, it's a great city. So it's about 130,000. It's got three universities here. Abilene Christian being in the only Division One university, the other two are Division Three universities. So it's a good college town, uh, good good healthcare here for a lot of the surrounding towns, uh, and, and we're about two and a half hours really from any other major city. Uh, now we have a regional airport, so you can fly through Dallas or fly through Houston to get here. But um, it, it it's kind of isolated, but it's a good city and uh, good people. You guys, uh, Abilene Christian, the basketball program, you guys are coming off a tremendous run in the NCAA tournament a season ago. 14th seed, knocks off number three seed Texas, maybe considered the bully in the state of Texas, the Longhorns are. Um, but the program got a win. They had a, put up a great fight against UCLA in the second round of the NCAA tournament. Head coach Joe Golding heads off to UTEP. New head coach comes in. You're part of the new staff. What's the excitement like around the program? Well, I think the one thing that's a little unknown about our program is we won 71 games over the last three years. And obviously, two of those have been shortened seasons. And um, although the NCAA tournament was canceled two years ago, Abilene Christian would have been in that NCAA tournament as well. So uh, they're one of 29 teams that have been in back-to-back NCAA tournaments. Uh, so it's, it's been a tremendous program. And it's gone through the transition from Division Two to Division One, and Coach Golding and, and the new head coach Brett Tanner have taken it through that transition and made this a very, very good basketball program. Uh, obviously, the win over Texas in the NCAA tournament um, was life changing for a lot of people, and and made this program a little bit more noticeable around the country. But uh, it, it just gave us a chance to be seen. Uh, although this program's been very good over the last few years. So, and it, it changed a lot of things around here. Obviously, Joe Golding went to UTEP and they hired within and gave the job to Coach Tanner, who's, who's been a huge part of this program's rise. 
And now uh, you talk about what it's like for me coming in here. It's, there's not a whole lot of change. I'm, I'm really the only change. Uh, and obviously Joe Golding leaving, but uh, coach Tanner's had a huge part of this program. And now obviously he's the main voice, but he's been a large voice throughout the last, his time here. So um, for me to come in, it's really just about um, diving into the culture that's already set in place. Uh, there's very good people here. The other two assistants were retained. So I'm really the only new piece. Uh, so, you know, the best thing I can do is try and help any way I can and not come in and, you know, be a bull in a china shop and try and change things and all that. I need to learn from them because it's been successful. And so I just want to come in and if I can help in any way possible or give new ideas, then I'm happy to do that. But I, I don't think you change something that's not broke or come in and I, I don't need to have too many crazy ideas, but if I can help in certain ways, I will. I think that's something that a, a lot of people don't understand and realize the movement uh, amongst coaching staffs across college basketball. And a lot of times an assistant coach like yourself goes from a successful program of UNC Greensboro under Wes Miller. You now go to Abilene Christian. Um, you also have to learn a new system. What is that like for you? I mean, how much studying do you put in about looking at maybe the previous year's games, uh, game films, or meeting with the, the current staff to figure out what has been the driving force of success behind their program? Well, I watched the film before I got here. I, I, you know, I tried to research the program as much as I could uh, before I came here, um, just understanding what they do. But the, the, the good thing about my situation is I had all summer to learn. So it's not like I just got here in the fall and like today is our first team workout. It's not like I got to figure it out from now. I have a decent feel just from our summer workouts, at least how we're going to operate and what we value. Um, but it, it's a, it's a learning experience. And I think the good thing about working for different people and moving around the country is you learn different things. And then if I ever get the opportunity to be a head coach, I'll have pulled different information from different programs, from different people. Um, which will hopefully help me be a successful head coach if I get that opportunity. But from a, from the standpoint of learning a new system, um, it's watching film, it's talking over with the staff and then hopefully just being a bright human being and being able to watch and pick up stuff quickly. <laughs> being a bright human being. That's, that's something that I know is, uh, <laughs> one of your traits. I mean, I remember you being uh, a teammate at Gonzaga and, uh, you might have been as dialed into scouting reports as anybody else on our team uh, of knowing opponents' strengths, weaknesses, maybe things that we could do to take advantage of, of some of their weaknesses. Uh, what has being a part of Gonzaga's program, and I'm sure you've stayed close with Coach Few, Stephen Gentry, uh, who's back on staff, Brian Michelson, Tommy Lloyd now at, at Arizona. What have you taken from those guys over the years as you've grown your own coaching career? Well, first, I want to say that, you know, I had to be dialed into those scouting reports because Coach Few once told me that I was the least athletic player to ever go through that program. So I had to have some sort of advantage out there to get myself on the floor. Um, no, I, I think the one thing I've learned from Gonzaga, and I, I think it's different than what people would imagine it is, is obviously recruiting is a major, major part of what we do. But recruiting players and having a simple plan, and I think a lot of coaches get into this profession and, and they want to draw up these amazing plays and, um, 
you know, execute, execute, execute. I think it's more about getting good players, teaching them how to play in a simple system and letting them have freedom to do what they want offensively. Um, obviously, defensively is going to be different. Uh, you talk about the thing at Gonzaga that I thought was impressive was how we adjusted game to game. We had different game plans defensively. Um, there's a lot of programs out there that this is kind of like, this is what we do and we're going to do it. And the other team's going to have to adjust to it. At Gonzaga, I thought we always made adjustments on the defensive side that helped us win a lot of games. So there's different, and both sides are successful. You know, like I think here we're going to take people out of what they do offensively. And that's going to be, we're, we're going to dictate that, but I don't think we're going to make a lot of adjustments in game to how we're going to play defense where playing at Gonzaga and being around those guys, they, they, they've made a lot, lot of adjustments. Yeah, I would agree. They've, they've made a lot of, of adjustments and they are a much better defensive program and team than when you and I played there. That's for sure. I, I, when you look at the growth of that program, uh, each one of us guys who were a part of it 20 years, 15 years ago, um, we each have a little bit of, of pride in being a, a foundational building block. What part, do you take from from that of having pride in that, but then also looking back and say, hey, Gonzaga still relies on these different things that we do? Well, the one thing is I'm lucky I played from 2000 to 2004 because I don't know if I'd step on the floor these days with the guys that are getting in their program. Um, but no, I, I think there's a lot to be proud of being a building block, part of the start of that program. But I think the one thing they've done a tremendous job of from the days that it truly began where, and started the ascension of the program is they've gotten tough kids, blue collar kids that are skilled and tough and that hate to lose. So, and, and that make, that makes recruiting sound easy, but it's not, it's not that easy. You know, I think they've done an unbelievable job of continuing to recruit those type of kids just at a higher level. So and it's continued the success of that program. And now, I mean, I, they're the best program in the country, which is absolutely tremendous. We were, I think when we, me and you were playing, we were right there and had the opportunity to, to be the number one team in the country. But were we truly the number one team in the country? I don't know. I think the program now with the guys that are getting in the program and, and playing for them, they really are the best team in the country year in and year out. So it's incredible what they've done, but I think they've kept the same model in recruiting. They've just taken it up a notch. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, they, what they've done, Coach Few, has been tremendous. It's been fun to watch. It's been, been fun to be able to say we were a part of. Um, but you also spent a year as a video coordinator there. You kind of you know cut some of your teeth as a coach trying to figure out your path and where you were going to go. Um, and many times assistant coaches – begin the early grunt work of building out a schedule and then the head coach agrees to different things. Tell us what an assistant coach at the college level's um, influence is on building a non-conference schedule. Well, the crazy thing is that's the one thing, Dan, that I've never really had my hand in. I've helped a little bit, like, hey, we need to find a game, do this and do that. But it's the one thing that I've never actually been in charge of as an assistant. You can list you know, the 50 other things that an assistant coach does, scheduling is the one thing I've never truly been in charge of, which is kind of crazy because I've been doing this for such a long time. Um, but building a schedule, man, I, A, you want to, especially when you're a non-BCS team, it is every, every program, you want to schedule games 
that are going to challenge your team and that are maybe somebody that's even with you in the RPI and the Ken Palm ratings and all that stuff to where you're getting good competition, then you, you, you want to also make sure you're scheduling games that you're going to be the favorite in, that you're going to win. So your team doesn't get in a situation where, okay, I've scheduled 10 non-conference games and we're, we're the dog in nine of these games. And now you go in and you have a tough schedule. You have a, maybe not the greatest record going into league and now your team's not used to winning. So I think it's important for good programs to make sure you're scheduling a significant amount of those where you're going to be the favorite. So at least you have a winning record going into the league. Your players are confident. They know you can win and, and are used to winning. As you know, teams that win consistently like that, I always say winning breeds winning. So like if you're winning, it helps you continue to win. And it's the same thing with losing. If you, you watch a lot of teams and it's like they've lost three one possession games and it's just like they continue to lose games like that. It's just strange. And then you watch teams that win one possession games, they seem to continue to win games like that. So it's really, it's really an interesting concept that probably has, there's no analytics behind it or anything like that. It's just your team's used to winning. So they find ways to win. So you better make sure when you're scheduling non-conference games that you set yourself up for a conference season where your guys are confident and feel good moving into that part of the season. Yeah, I think the average fan doesn't understand just how important the scheduling is for, you know, power conference teams of finding, you know, the right mix of, of mid-majors as well as a program like yours um, of, of finding opportunities to, to knock off better programs or, or more maybe valued programs to, to solidify a resume for the NCAA tournament. Now, you spent a lot of your time as an assistant coach under another Gonzaga uh, former coach, Billy Greer at USD. You were a head coach at Sunrise Christian, one of the best prep schools in America. Uh, but then you had a chance to spend some time at UNC Greensboro under a really up-and-coming young head coach who's now at, at Cincinnati, Wes Miller. What did you learn from him that was maybe different or impactful that you're looking forward to taking um, into your career that was different from what you've learned from some of your other stops? Uh, I learned a lot of, a lot of things, but really how to run a program as a head coach. I mean, he, he managed a lot of people. Um, he, he's like one of those guys that there's always something to do. So he's always giving you stuff to do and always trying to get the program to continue to move forward. Um, I thought just the, in general, how he, you know, how, how he ran the program was probably the biggest thing. And then I think from a scouting, from scouting, obviously he'd been a head coach for, he's been a head coach now for 10 years. Um, some of the scouting stuff that we would go through and what he saw in regards to either how to stop the other team or how to score on the other team uh, was, was pretty impressive. And then, you know, he, he's, the last thing and maybe the most important thing was just relationship building with the players on his team. We always made sure we put the guys on our team first, uh, regardless of recruiting and all that stuff, what type of the year, if when it came to the players on our team, they were by far the most important thing. And we could put everything else on the back burner if our team needed something, if we needed to take them to lunch, uh, if we needed to spend some time with them, uh, if we just needed to be on campus to be around them. That was the most important thing beyond recruiting or anything else in the program. So just make sure that they're happy so we can be and, and build relationships with them so we can be hard on them in practice 
and also be able to love them up outside of practice and keep them on the same page and obviously keep them in the program with the transfer portal the way it is, you know, just making sure you have good relationships with the kids. All of your moving around as a head coach in different pockets of the country, the Northwest with Gonzaga, California with USD, Sunrise Christian in the Midwest, and then UNC Greensboro and now Abilene Christian in Texas. When you get your opportunity as a head coach, and I know most assistants have that goal and that vision um, at some point to be one, and I think you will be one, how will you form a staff knowing that you've got contacts and networks in all pockets of the country? Uh, Honestly, I think more than anything, hiring some people I trust. I mean, you can... You can say, well, I got to have a recruiter. I got to have this. I got to have that. You know what? If you have a hardworking staff that you can trust and that you know is going to have your back, then I'm, I'm good with that. Like, I, we'll, we'll figure out recruiting, man. Like, I think that gets a little bit overblown sometimes with, well, I got to have this guy to get th- these kids. And you know what, man? I want somebody that knows what I prefer. I'm going to work well with going to give me ideas that I like and that I can trust that I know they're going to be saying the right kids to the, or the right thing to the kids on the team to make sure we're all on the same page moving forward. So in reality, people can say what they want and staff or head coaches can say what they want. It's getting people I can trust and that I know it'll work hard. It's about it. I love it. It's so much about relationship building. The more uh, conversations I've had with College coaches uh, on this ISO podcast, so many guys have mentioned the same things. I had uh, Ben McCollum, who's a Division II head coach of National Power in Northwest Missouri State, said very similar things uh, a couple weeks back. But um, want to get it with a little lighthearted stuff now. So, Kyle, you're one of the top 10 percentage-wise three-point shooters in WCC history still. When your guys are, when you're watching film with your guys and they miss an open three in the corner or, you know, there's a swing swing off of a a double in the post um, and it's a shot you knew you were going to knock down in college, what do you tell your guys? Do you ever bring up the fact that you shot it at, you know, about 47% from three in your career? Well, the problem is I I do let them know verbally. The problem is I can't get out on the floor and show them anymore. I like I I don't I never pick up I almost never pick up a ball and even shoot it anymore. So which is crazy. I mean I, I you've been there. I tore my Achilles and now I can't really get lift off my right foot. So I don't even try anymore. But yes, I tell them to look up stats. And you know what I actually have? I always use this because it was it was fun. It's always fun to mess with the guys. Just you know make sure they know that I played. But my senior year of college, I was the Ken Palm number one ranked offensive player in the country. Really? So, yeah. So I got that, I got that screenshotted. So if I ever need to, you know, send them a little reminder that I did play and was a good player, I can send them that. So, but the other funny thing about that is at my previous school, UNCG, and here we are, we have been two of the best defensive programs in the country offensively it's not as pretty so uh it wasn't like a thing of beauty there at uncg we were we would figure it out but we were not a great shooting team in fact if you look at the ncaa tournament game we were in the you know i think i don't forget what channel we played on but 
the TV put up the graphic that we were last in field goal percentage, last in three point percentage, last in free throw percentage and won the league. So, uh, and then you get out here and, and Adeline Christian is statistically couldn't, you could say they're the best defensive team in the country. So, um, and, and there we do well offensively, but we're not, it's not like watching a machine on offense. So, uh, it, it's interesting. I don't know how I keep ending up in these programs that are defensive oriented. I'm more of an offensive guy, but, um, it's worked out and you just got to continue to help these guys and make sure they're playing with confidence on offense. And you know how it is, man, they're going to miss shots and you got to continue to shoot and, and be confident on the offensive end. So it's all I can think about, man. If they, they're missing shots, not much I can do about it. They work at their game though. They, they, they definitely work at their game. I love that. I had no idea you were the number one ranked offensive player in Ken, Ken Palm efficiency as a senior. That's something that uh, I'm going to have to start looking up when I do my college basketball preparation for games of like efficiency of different players. I will do my best this next upcoming season to throw out that out there at some point during a Gonzaga game that you're the most efficient player offensively in GU history. Well, the crazy thing is the Gonzaga's had two of those guys. I think I think I think it was Mike Hart was also the number one. Now, now Mike was obviously a defensive specialist, uh, and I wouldn't say I was a defensive specialist. So I'm sure his opportunities on offense were less than mine. But yeah, I think he also was the number one ranked offensive efficiency player in the country. Awesome. I'm going to have to look that up because uh, Ken Palm is a staple, I'm sure, for you as it is for me, but. Uh, with this whole NIL name image likeness, so much is being made about this nationally, and a lot of it impacts the larger schools across the country where, where the schools, the programs, the players have large followings. But I would imagine a school like yours that is, as we mentioned earlier in our conversation, a little isolated. There's, there's big passion and a big following, and you guys are coming off a great season knocking off Texas, advancing to the second round of the tournament. Have you guys had to kind of uh, figure out an NIL, um, I don't want to say workaround, but like promotion to help your guys understand it and take advantage if opportunities come their way? You know, there's a lot of moving parts of the NIL. Um, it, it's, it's not as simple as people make it sound really from the outside. Uh, we have state laws. So, and, and to be honest, it's like, still trying to get my arms around it. But we don't, we don't just have a school and just say, Hey, go out and try and make money on Instagram or whatever, trying to, you know, sign a, sign a deal. They got to do stuff through the state as well. We just started that process last week. They got to do, uh, they got to do uh, what's it called? Educational pieces to get, to be allowed to do it. So it, there's also, you know, people don't realize this, but like there's, there's kids, if there's a, if there's a kid that's, um, receives a Pell Grant. Well, if they, they don't make a certain amount of money, all they're doing is they're just gonna make money here and it's gonna come out of the Pell Grant and it's gonna be equal the same. So there, there's, it's a really, really interesting dynamic. I think when it's discussed on like ESPN and SportsCenter and they got all these people, they're really talking about the elite of the elite guys that are really gonna benefit from this. And, or if you can get to a a school like you know you talk about Gonzaga it's it's a number one ranked program in the country the community there wants to be involved and there's people that have a lot of money that want to be involved that might hey you know I'll, I'll pay somebody twenty thousand dollars to do a commercial and put his name on like you did with the the 
uh, the old Hummer back in the day. You know, now, now you can do that stuff. Now you can do that stuff while you're in college and hopefully make some money off it. But it's a lot of working people. There's it's a, there's a lot to it. It's and it's hard because you see, you know, you see guys in our program may see, you know, the, the quarterback at Alabama. They're talking about he's or he's making over a million dollars in NIL stuff. It's just like well. They see that, but that's very, very few people are getting those type of deals um, to where you hope we can help our guys out with that stuff. But is it for sure? I don't know. And hopefully we can find ways to get them some money through that and, and get their name, image, and likeness out there. But it's 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 a very unique thing, and I think we're gonna we're learning, and it's gonna be a long process of getting it figured out to where it can be beneficial for everybody in every program across the country. Yeah, I, I think it is overdue, but I think the perception or the average fan's understanding of that it's just a free-for-all and every college student-athlete is going to make money is so uh, wrong. It's it's not the case. There's going to be a, a few that make it and a lot of them that are misguided or think they're going to make it and they don't make anything. But if you were to get an NIL deal while you were in college – I have an idea of which one you would have wanted in Spokane. What company in Spokane would you have wanted a name, image, likeness deal with while you were playing at Gonzaga? Oh, shoot. I'd have to say Bruce Brothers, the coffee stand there. Yeah. I, mean, I was there every day. So, I mean, I'd be happy to stand there with a cup of coffee. I mean, they would give me free coffee for the year. I'd have been plenty of money for me. So, I'd have been happy to do that. I don't know what you're going to say, but the first thing that popped in my mind was I'm driving through Bruce Brothers every day. So, um, but I don't know. What, what were you going to say for me? Wow. You know, for you, I was going to say Spokane subs. I, I would do that too. I, I do subdivision Spokane. So, I mean, I, I, shoot, I had, I had a lot of, the, I had a lot of good spots, man. A lot of good spots. So if they were willing to pay me, I'd be happy to do a commercial. I'd post some stuff on Instagram with a sandwich. I'd be happy to do that stuff, man. Make a little money on the side, but I don't know. Too, too late for that, I guess. That's awesome. Well, Kyle, I appreciate you. If you were in Gonzaga at Gonzaga right now, and I own my barber shops like I do now, I would have given you a uh, a deal with the barbers. But unfortunately, I know you you don't need a haircut too often, so I apologize for that. But Kyle, it's been great to reconnect. I wish you nothing but the best of luck at Abilene Christian this year, and and hopefully I will see you down the road with a college broadcast. Yep. Thanks, man. No, I appreciate you having me on. It's always good to see you. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.